0: Welcome to Pushback, I'm Aaron Maté. As the Trump administration mobilizes to stop the COVID-19 pandemic at home, its actions overseas are having the opposite impact. U.S. sanctions on countries including Venezuela and Iran are hurting those countries' ability to fight the pandemic. Just this week, the Trump administration ramped up its actions against Iran, announcing a whole new round of sanctions. Joining me now is someone who knows the impact of sanctions very well, Alfred Desaias is a former UN Special Rapporteur who has studied the impact of sanctions on countries overseas, including Venezuela. Professor Desaias, welcome to Pushback.
1: Thank you for inviting me.
0: So what is your response to seeing, in the midst of this pandemic, the Trump administration announcing new sanctions on Iran?
1: Well, it's insane, but it's also a crime against humanity. And it might even be a form of genocide, depending on the number of uh, victims uh, that will be generated directly uh, through these sanctions. Uh, In my six years as uh, UN rapporteur, I uh, wrote uh, about sanctions in several of my reports. So did uh, my colleague, the late... uh, Ambassador Idris uh, Yazairi, who passed away on the 27th of February of this year. In any event, he was a rapporteur on unilateral coercive measures, and he was uh, very clear in analyzing uh, the sanctions uh, against Venezuela, the sanctions against uh, Iran and Syria, etc. Now, um, it's quite clear. That uh, unilateral course of measures are contrary to the United Nations Charter. They're contrary to customary international law, to uh, very fundamental principles of international law, such as freedom of trade and uh, freedom of navigation, etc. Now, in a situation like COVID uh, 19, uh, what the world needs, of course, we're all on this planet together is uh, international solidarity. What we need is cooperation. Now, this is throwing an additional monkey wrench uh, into the capacity of uh, Iran and Syria and Venezuela uh, to uh, cope with uh, this challenge uh, of um, uh, uh, the coronavirus. Now, I would like to see uh, the United Nations General Assembly adopt a resolution. Uh, They've already adopted 27 resolutions with regard to the sanctions against Cuba, condemning them. Uh, But uh, this is uh, a moment in which uh, we need uh, a word from the General Assembly, from the international community, from the International Court of Justice. Uh, Clearly stating that uh, unilateral coercive measures kill, that unilateral coercive measures, this kind of hybrid uh, warfare, this kind of non-conventional warfare is incompatible with the United Nations Charter and that it has consequences. It has human consequences. People die. It also has uh, a component of uh, penal law. I think that the International Criminal Court has to take it up also. In the case of uh, Venezuela, the uh, Venezuelan foreign minister Jorge Ariasa on the 13th of uh, February of uh, this year uh, at The Hague uh, presented a brief, a complaint. Uh, with regard to the unilateral course of measures being applied against Venezuela and asking under Article 7 of the uh, Statute of Rome that they be examined under the aspect of a crime against a humanity. But it is not just a crime against humanity. Of course, it is. I mean, uh, read uh, Article 7 of the um, uh, Rome Statute and you will see that because of uh, the deliberateness of it, because of the uh, impact that it has had already uh, on Venezuela, it has already gone beyond the threshold of just a mere violation of international law. It might even reach the level of uh, genocide. Now, Article 2 of the Genocide Convention of 1948 uh, states uh, that Uh, if a country has a policy uh, that has as its goal uh, the um, uh, decimation of uh, a uh, people, a group, an ethnic group, a religious group, or whatever, uh, that that uh, constitutes genocide.
0: That's a very thorough summation of the how sanctions violate international law. But let me ask you about what you specifically witnessed because you were the first special rapporteur to visit Venezuela in over two decades. And you wrote a very thorough report last year on this. And you write this, quote, modern day economic sanctions and blockades are comparable with medieval sieges of towns. 21st century sanctions attempt to bring not just the town, but sovereign countries to their knees. That was from your report on the impact of sanctions on Venezuela. What specifically did you witness in Venezuela to uh, lead you to that conclusion?
1: Well, I did not witness a humanitarian crisis, as I know, from uh, Syria and Gaza and Yemen, uh, etc. Uh, what I uh, did notice, and that has been uh, confirmed by my uh, colleagues, uh, Professor uh, Jeffrey Sachs and uh, Mark Weisbrot that uh, these uh, sanctions have led directly uh, to an increase uh, in deaths. That is, uh, persons who normally would not have died but uh, because they didn't have uh, access to insulin or to antiretroviral drugs or access to anti-malaria drugs uh, uh, died. Now, the government is trying to purchase uh, uh, this uh, all necessary medicines for the population. But uh, as a result of the financial blockade, when the government is trying to transfer money to um, through a bank uh, to, say, the pharmaceutical uh, company, etc., uh, the bank, out of fear of penalties from the... Uh, Uh, United States Treasury refuses to make the transfer that has created enormous problem because uh, Venezuela is a very, very wealthy country. But if it cannot buy and sell like anybody else, uh, it doesn't help them any money. If it cannot um, uh, extract. Uh, the uh, petroleum cannot extract uh, the uh, the gold and the bauxite and the uh, lithium and the coltan and everything that they have. Uh, it's, uh, of course, um, an economy that has been asphyxiated and uh, asphyxiated on purpose. This is very similar to back in 1970 when uh, Salvador Allende was elected in uh, Chile and Nixon called in Kissinger and told them we will not tolerate an alternative economic model to be successful in uh, Latin America and we shall make the Chilean economy scream now that is what has happened in Venezuela the Venezuelan economy is practically ground to a halt now they Are trying to be as self-sufficient as they can and um, Latin Americans uh, tend to improvise a lot the same as the Cubans I mean the Cubans have suffered draconian sanctions and uh, draconian uh, blockade for 60 years 60 and the Cuban people have not rebelled now uh, in connection with Iran I was uh, thinking of this maximum pressure campaign that um, uh, Trump has declared a year ago on um, Iran. Well, uh, a recent analysis by the Israel based uh, Institute for National Security uh, Studies uh, has concluded uh, that these sanctions have been ineffective. I mean, what they uh, the United States would like to see, and it's rather very naive. I mean, uh, when I hear Mike Pompeo, or I hear um, Elliot Abrams, or I hear um, uh, well John Bolton, who uh, mercifully has left uh, the, um, the White House. But in any event, um, they think uh, that uh, failure in the economy is going to uh, lead. Uh, to a revolt on the part of the uh, civilian population. Well, that's not happened in Cuba, has not happened in uh, Venezuela, is not happening uh, in Iran. Why? Because as the uh, uh, Institute for National Security Studies uh, determines, the Iranian public has despaired of generating any significant political change. And obviously, they are focused on the struggle for day-to-day survival. And that is in Iran, that is in Cuba, that is in Venezuela. They have other worries. Now, I made this medieval uh, allusion in my report uh, to the Human Rights Council, but I've also made another allusion that I think is worth thinking about. The... Siege of Leningrad, the Siege of Leningrad uh, from 1941 to 44 by the Nazis, 872 days, cost anywhere from 700,000 to 1 million human lives. That was declared a crime against humanity by the uh, uh, Nuremberg Judgment, and quite correctly so. It was a crime against humanity. And um, uh, as far as uh, Iran is concerned, as far as Venezuela is concerned, as far as the coronavirus is concerned, what we need today is human solidarity. I mean, if the enemy was an extraterrestrial, if the enemy was an alien, we would be all joining forces to fight this outside enemy. Now, the enemy now is the coronavirus. You would expect the United States to join forces uh, with Europe, to join forces uh, with India, to join forces with with China in fighting uh, this uh, new danger to humanity. And what the United States is doing is insane.
0: You've been inside the UN system for a long time. Let's say, you know, countries like Iran and Venezuela wanted to try to stop the sanctions and pursue reparations, as you've talked about, pursue court judgments against the U.S. uh, in a bid to get them to stop strangulating their countries. What hope do you have that going, working inside the U.N. system, international law, could actually succeed, given the amount of influence that the U.S. and its allies have over the u.n and uh and the international system
1: well there is a culture of impunity in the united states uh there is a certain hubris which actually reminds me of the hubris of a joachim von ribbentrop uh during the nazi period a uh, an arrogance of power and uh, obviously the united states uh cannot be forced uh, to respect a judgment of the International Court of Justice. As a matter of fact, there have been any number of judgments against the United States that were flouted uh, by Washington. Take, for instance, uh, the uh, Nicaragua against uh, United States cases in the 1980s during Ronald Reagan, and uh, the United States was solidly condemned Uh, for its uh, illegal support of the Contras in uh, Nicaragua and its attempt to topple the uh, government, uh, the democratically elected government uh, uh, of uh, the uh, Sandinistas.
0: And for mining uh, the harbors, for literally literally mining the harbors around Nicaragua.
1: No, no, these, these are all war crimes, and these are all what we term international wrongful acts that trigger state responsibility state responsibility to make reparation that was also the judgment of the international court of justice and the united states never paid now we also had a number of cases under the vienna convention on diplomatic relations the vienna convention on consular relations when the two german brothers like grand Uh, had committed uh, a um, uh, capital offense uh, in Texas, and uh, they did not have appropriate defense. I mean, it was a a farce of a trial against them in any event. uh, uh, The German consul was never informed about it. Uh, That's a clear violation of the um, uh, Vienna Convention. Well, uh, the International Court of Justice issued what you might term an injunction, issued a interim measures of protection telling the United States you cannot execute the La Brothers. Well, they were executed. And um, a couple of years down the line, uh, in the case of uh, Avena and 51 others, these were uh, Mexicans who had been uh, sentenced to death in the United States. There again, uh, the uh, International Court of Justice found uh, that because of the violations of the uh, Vienna. Uh, convention on uh, consular relations and because of the dubiousness of the trials that these uh, indigent people had had uh that they could not be executed well you know they were executed so uh the united states has uh this tradition of uh impunity but part of the problem is that nobody knows that uh i mean you and uh max Blumenthal And the Real News Network and Amy Goodman of Democracy Now, they do inform the American people about certain things that you don't read in CNN or in Fox or in The New York Times or in The Washington Post. So part of the problem is that if you ask the average American, do we Americans uh, respect international law, they will tell you honestly in good faith, yes, of course we do, of course the United States is the leader in uh, international law, uh, observance, et cetera, et cetera. It's only those who are in uh, the legal business who uh, observe uh, these things, who can uh, judge what the United States has done when the United States has been brought to court, et cetera. We realize that there is a culture of impunity. So what's important also here is that the media inform the American people, look what is being done in your name. Uh, The United States is not only asphyxiating the economy, that's rather abstract, asphyxiating the economy of uh, Venezuela or Iran, uh, but we're not being told we are killing people. We are, through this hybrid economic uh, warfare, We're actually exterminating people.
0: Final question, because we have to wrap. You've now invoked Nazi references several times now in this conversation. So I just want to put a fine point on it. Do you think that what the Trump administration is doing today with its sanctions, increasing these sanctions during this pandemic, do you think that what they're doing is akin to what the Nazis did in World War II? Well,
1: Uh, I do make allusions. I don't make uh, comparisons in that sense. I mean, obviously, the times are different and the players are different. Uh, What I do say is that uh, Trump is uh, employing methods uh, that we already know uh, from uh, the Nazis. He is employing methods that are, clearly criminal, and uh, methods uh, that contradict the Nuremberg judgment. I mean, uh, the American chief prosecutor at Nuremberg, uh, Robert Jackson, in his opening speech, and then in the course of the trial several times over, said that this trial only has legal and in historical importance when we will apply the same principles to ourselves that is robert jackson wanted to create international law the same as uh, benjamin Ferench, one of the prosecutors at uh, nuremberg who by the way just turned 100 years old happy birthday ben uh Benjamin Ferenc, again and again in his uh, books, there's one book of his that I particularly cherish, which is called uh, Planethood. He is a believer in a rules-based international order and in the importance of accountability, the importance of having an international criminal court that will investigate in good faith, objectively, without applying double standards, will investigate and then will indict uh, those who have violated uh, articles five and six and seven and eight uh, of the uh, uh, ICJ statute. And uh, unfortunately, our country has done it. Well, you're Canadian, sorry, is <laughs> not your country. But in any event, uh, the United States has indeed uh, violated uh, these articles. And it is important also for education, for uh, the perception of what law is all about, that the American citizen be aware that the American government. Uh, is not acting in a manner consistent uh, with uh, the Nuremberg principles, consistent uh, with international law, consistent uh, with the principles of uh, Eleanor Roosevelt. If I can close with uh, uh, an aphorism that I wrote some time ago uh, when Trump was always saying, let's make America great again. The only response to that is, if you want to make America great again, all you have to do is revive the legacy of Eleanor Roosevelt.
0: Alfred Desaias, the former UN Special Rapporteur, a legal scholar and professor, thank you very much.
1: Thank you, too.